Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Finding Your Freedom podcast with me, Madeline. I'm so happy to have you guys here. And yeah, I took a week off last week because I was getting my wisdom teeth removed because I uh, neglected to do that (laughs) in the time period that people normally do. So that was a fun experience. Um, Served as like a good little kind of reset experience for me. But yeah, I'm back and I'm so happy to have you guys here. And yeah, on this podcast, we talk all about finding your freedom from the stories in your family, from past trauma, from society's narratives, and yeah, just letting go of all those things and all the gunk and, you know, living as your true self, not bound, you know, by any rules or past beliefs that have limited you so you can kind of live as that and create a life from that place of alignment and wholeness and free true expression that your soul came here to be so that is what we talk about on the podcast and if you've been listening for a while please leave a five-star review on apple podcasts write a written review if you feel like it um those just help more people find the show helps you know apple podcast suggest that to more people and you can do that on spotify now too so you know follow the show leave a review all the things but yes we have a super amazing and special guest episode for you guys today but i'm just gonna give you a little life update and a business update As far as the life update, I am so happy to be back in the podcast this week. Like the podcast is just such an amazing space for me to stay accountable and come home. And I I don't know if you guys maybe know this or could think this from this practice, but you know, every week and just showing up and speaking and doing all of these things like the fears I don't know if the fears ever go away or the doubts in like your path and your purpose and I want to really talk a lot more about like following your path and if what if your family doesn't support it and fears and business and creating a business based on your unique gifts like those are themes I really want to tackle this year along with all the relationship content that I've been putting out because I've been diving headfirst like I like to do into relational learning. Um, But yeah, it feels so great to be back with you guys this week and kind of just showing up and showing up for you guys and showing up for myself and putting together this really great episode. So I'm super grateful for that. And honestly, I'm recording this kind of right before the Aries new moon and we're in Aries season now and honestly I just am kind of sitting with this feeling of having self-compassion for myself and surrendering to the flow of the universe but also this kind of check-in moment of what has been going on the past year of my life like I've almost been home on the Outer Banks for a year and um, I feel like there has been learning but like not progress in the way that feels good for me and stagnancy feels very bad for me. So there's just been this feeling of like discomfort in this interesting space I've been in where I've been learning a ton about relationships and I guess like family healing 
but just this need and this desire to kind of move on with my life. But I think for so many of us, it feels like the past two years, things have been on pause and like we are finally able to move forward. But it's this process of reflecting on the past two years and kind of like trying to make sense of it and get some sort of internal feeling of closure and like lessons learned and this kind of culmination process to be able to move fully into the next chapter because I don't know the past two years (laughs) since March 2020 have been a crazy portal like I I felt like I was really myself in New Orleans and I also like don't recognize myself who I was in New Orleans like I feel so different in ways that I can't even really put words or phrases into so I'm feeling a lot and I'm also feeling like wow I have not been with my personal development and spiritual practices as much as I should be so I'm saying that to you guys now to maybe give you a reminder if you haven't been as well um, to kind of tune back into yourself and really connect within but also like connect from a place of like loving compassion for that as well (laughs) I feel like I've just been in such a turbulent, I don't know, (laughs) you guys probably know this, but my time at home, it's been very like floaty and like not a lot of clarity or groundedness or anything. So I'm feeling excited for hopefully this, saying hopefully, but I'm not going to say that. I'm feeling excited for this time at home to be coming to an end, even though it is attached to difficult emotions because I'm especially in Aries season, feeling the need to like act on that fire energy and not be in this like spacey floaty um, kind of headspace of reflection and transformation before the next chapter. So that's where I'm at now. Lots of stuff's up in the air. Probably will pause a lot of the offerings and stuff that I'm doing until I kind of move and kind of get into that new energy. Um, which is also my own internal frustration has had to deal with that as well. But we're working through that and like I'm trusting that it's all part of the process even if I can't, you know, see the connected dots yet. Like you can only see the meaning like looking backwards on how those dots are connected. So I'm trying to anchor into trust but also feel the fire there and not slow myself down because of fears. So that's where I'm at plan to do an episode kind of on fears before the leap and everything like that and maybe some episodes on intentional pauses because I think last week was a really good pause for me and kind of a really good time to just check in with myself so yeah that's my life update business stuff the link is in the show notes and like I said I'm kind of pausing a decent amount of that but feel free to check that out or send me a dm on instagram if you have any questions But now, getting to today's episode, I have been thinking and dreaming and excited about this episode for, you know, more than two years and have really wanted this guest to come on. Um, I did a live on Instagram and this conversation kind of took a little bit of a different direction than I expected. So I plan to do an episode more on specifically the neuroscience of psychedelics because I think me and Will... Uh, Dr. Sue, we talked a lot more on kind of the nature of healing and 
you know, what is needed for healing and what is science and what is spirituality and how do we know something and what is, you know, what does healing feel like, which I think is all really important and valid. So yes, I will be doing another episode, but it was definitely kind of a dream guest moment of the podcast to have you know, Dr. Will on. So I'm really excited to share this for you guys and to kind of like get a little window into psychedelic therapy and kind of just some of the differences between that therapy and, you know, antidepressants and like really the healing journey. And I I think this episode really connected me back to the beginnings of my like healing process. And, you know, at the end of the day that these like physical problems or these mental kind of issues of depression and anxiety and these physical you know obviously not all physical problems but some of them can kind of be these signs and these messengers of a deeper disarray within and can be these warning signals that come from this place of love to make these big changes in our lives and I think that really connected me back to that and you know, what we all really need for healing is to just like be honest and be heard and felt and to feel um, the hard things that have happened in our life and like allow our body to release those experiences and memories. So it was really great to have Will on and we talk about this in the episode, but just wanted to say, because I always like to say when I put out episodes kind of related to this, not at all, you know, against antidepressants. And we speak to this, like they definitely have a place in the mental health field and can be really helpful. But me and Will are really excited about psychedelics being added as a tool um, in psychotherapy and just in general, kind of like getting more to the root of healing in different ways versus suppressing the symptoms. How can we listen to the symptoms and maybe listen to the story those symptoms are trying to tell us. So I hope you guys really enjoy this episode and I don't want to wait any longer. So I will tell you about today's guest. Will Sue, MD, DPhil, completed medical training at UCLA and a doctorate in immunology at the University of Oxford. He continued with psychiatric training at Harvard Medical School where he remained on faculty for six years before moving to New York City to further study and practice psychedelic-assisted therapies. His work as a public educator has reached a wide audience through speaking, writing, and social media outlets. Will is co-principal investigator on a pilot research study exploring MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for fibromyalgia. He maintains a clinical office in Los Angeles for patient care, trains psychiatrists, psychologists, and is an advisor to a number of companies in the wellness space. And you may have seen Will on Goop with, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow and all those things. Really amazing person. And like I said in the episode, an amazing bridge between the scientific and the spiritual like I aim to be as well. So won't hold off any longer. I'll let us get into the episode. Enjoy, guys.
So the first question that I ask everyone, because it's the Finding Your Freedom podcast, is what have you been finding freedom from lately in your own life? Interesting question. Um, <clears throat> well, no, that's it's. I'm appreciating it. Just give me one moment. I think it's 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 a good one, and it's <laughs> it's a deep one to start out with. Um, I mean, for me, the healing journey in general, I, I mean, I like the way you phrase that because I think it's, 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 it's been one of freedom from, you know, what I've realized are just my own internal stories, right? That, that, that I've embodied, that people embody from, um, mostly from our youth, but also, yeah, on, on going into our teen and early adult life, you know? Um, so for me lately, it's been about, um, I'd say it's about career actually and, and what I've envisioned even what it would have looked like. You know, at one point, I think when I was at McLean and, and training as a resident psychiatrist 10 years ago, you know, I almost left that, you know, I almost dropped out. I was almost going to do, um, I was going to go into business and then I found psychedelics and then it became this, oh my God, this is my calling. I found it and it's going to look like this. And Honestly, it's look. It looks better than, or I, 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 I've gotten deeper into it than I thought I ever would. Um, and so, but now I'm actually finding, you know, just in general in healing, I think you know, there's major, I think, misalignments of, of what we're finding freedom from when we first start the path of, of healing. And I think. I, I find that it becomes more and more nuanced with time. And so meaning the, the little blockages and what we're finding freedom from becomes kind of a little trickier, but I actually think it's more fun to also unpack those. So for me, it's more like, you know, location of where I want to live, you know, how, how do I want to practice? How much of my percentage of my practice is going to be seeing patients? Um, do I want to, not do I want to, I want to start writing more. I want to start teaching more, which are things that I had not sort of envisioned. Yeah, even a few years ago. And I think it's probably coming faster than I thought I would, you know, I'm 42 right now. And most of my teachers and mentors are, yeah, in their mid to mid sixties or above. And so I find myself in this place where both I feel there's a need for teaching and I feel comfortable with it. And I guess I didn't, expect that to happen in my early 40s so definitely yeah. and I like what you said about it becoming more nuanced because I think like at the beginning of the healing journey or experience there's so many big things that are quote wrong or like out of alignment in your life that you kind of have to tackle those things and then the more you evolve it's kind of like fine-tuning different yeah. areas of your life or seeing like where am I attaching to the certain narrative of like how I want this to be versus like authentically how I actually do want to be instead of, I don't know. I think like those old patterns just like sneak in there now and you're like, oh, that's funny that I'm doing that thing that I used to do from before with like a lot more love and compassion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I was, it reminds me of just, I don't know, I was taking a, a course on Jung last year and they, there was a particular 
section on it on alchemy and they talked about how you know the old alchemists you know which not to go deep into it I mean, which is, wasn't really about turning you know metals into gold but that was a small small part of alchemy but it was really about these like pretty predictable cycles of of transformation and evolution and i remember these like 10 10 things and it's it's become sort of a a pretty predictable cycle of of things that we go through each time we sort of unravel a layer or find something to be free from but yeah it becomes yeah more nuanced and again i think it's there's a fun, a fun part of it and it can also be painful sometimes too being like okay so you know where i used to be like oh maybe there was a or used to think that maybe there was an end point to be reached and i think i i don't think that that's the case anymore so <laughs> yeah yeah completely and we can get into your story in a second but i think like a big part of your story it sounds like was kind of chasing these hoops or like attaching your worth to these like outside achievements and i I think it's interesting once you start healing those nar- that narrative that you stop doing that, but then there's like little outside achievements that maybe you're like noticing yourself attached to again. And you're like, oh, like I'm starting to care about this image. And I kind of like what yeah. you said about psychedelics, you were like, oh, I found my calling in the end and I figured it out and the healing journey maybe ends, yeah. you know, but it's never, it's never like that. It just always keeps going. Yeah. Absolutely. But I would love to hear more about your story. And I wanted to say too, I listened to you on the Be Well by Kelly podcast. And I really love the prism metaphor you used of how, (laughs) you know, naturally we're supposed to be these bright, like expansive prisms and things just start to like cloud it. So yeah, I just wanted to say that, but I'd love to hear kind of more about your path and your story and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, sure. Thanks. And it's, yeah, Kelly's great. And also, um, you know, it's interesting because the prism analogy, actually, I was thinking of it, 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 it's it's one of the things I didn't read that I, it came, it like came to me one day, I can't remember what it was, but uh, it's been coming up a lot lately because I actually use it with most of my clients there. I'll bring it up in interviews and it it does seem to really resonate for a lot of people. And anyway, I I am in the midst of writing a book proposal. And I, I realize that it's, it's going to be a part of it because there's, there's, there's something, yeah, it, it reflects a lot about the healing journey, I think. But um, anyway, so I don't know when, where, where in the journey you want me to start, you know, but I, I mean, I'm a medical doctor. So I, I went to medical school and I also did a PhD. Um, and for most of that time, um, I wanted to become a surgeon. Um, I had no interest and never really thought about mental health very much at all. Um, and so, and I don't know how familiar you are with the path of med- medical doctors, but usually there's, there's, there's quite a bit of foresight and planning you need, especially if you're going to go into, you know, the quote competitive specialties, because you've got to build a resume and you've got to work with the right people and you've got to get letters of rec and all these things. And so for me, that you know, my medical school and PhD, essentially ninety percent of it was prepping to become. Um, I wanted to be an eye surgeon, and so it was interesting. And a couple of things happened towards the end where it was in, in, in ophthalmology at the time, which I'm and I'm sure it's still the same way. Is one of the most competitive uh, programs to try to get into, and so it, it happened to me. I, my dad died around that time. I didn't do so well on the tests. I had a fallout with one of my PhD mentors who was one of the best known ophthalmologists in the world. And so he was no longer going to write me a letter of rec. So it was like all these things, 
these things came crumbling down. Um, so it was interesting because, and then I did my psychiatry rotation in medical school, which were required. It's like one of those required rotations, but I, again, never thought I would go into it. And within two weeks, like I was just like enamored by it. Like I, it was the first time people were talking about, oh, the unconscious and, you know, this person's acting like this because their childhood looked like this. And I was just like, my mind was blown, but it was definitely wasn't like an overnight, like, oh yeah, this is it. Like it, there was definitely still a, a process of mourning and being scared of not becoming a surgeon. But um, anyway, so that's how my path into psychiatry started. But at that time, I um, would have considered myself an atheist. I, you know, wanted to be a researcher, like developing new antidepressants and working in a laboratory and um, was very much into like, yeah, neuroscience and biology and evolution still and in, in the evolution in the um, like Charles Darwin sense. And so I ended up going to the Mass General McLean, you know, program at Harvard, which you're familiar with. And yeah, I was in like the research track program, meaning I was going to be this like academic psychiatrist. So anyway, and then, yeah, I finished my first year of residency, which is internship. So for those people that don't know, it's like, it's, it's considered pretty much the hardest year of your medical training. It's like lo lots of thankless work, lots of paperwork, lots of sleepless nights, lots of sleeping in the hospital. Um, yeah, and it was, as you had mentioned before, one of many, many hoops I started realizing later that I was like, oh, okay, once I finish this, I'll be happy. And um, I finished it and I wasn't. And then I was like, oh, okay, like, but now I'm starting psychiatry. Now I'm focusing on this. Now I'll be happy. And um, yeah, then, then some powerful synchronicities started happening or just powerful events, maybe not to call them synchronicities, but events. And then I actually started listening to myself um, instead of just continuing on with the programming. And so, yeah, there was a particular time, there was one lecture, our first lecture on um, psychopharmacology that was on depression. And I always like, I, don't, I feel it when I talk about it every time where the professor was like, okay, we're gonna talk about what's called the STAR-D trial. It's the largest, you know, um, medication trial ever done in psychiatry. And it was the, um, it's the most successful. And they talked about it's his SSRIs for depression. And they talked about the study and they're like, I think it's, it's in the thousands, if not the tens of thousands of patients. And they were like, okay, you know, after whatever it was, 12, 12 months or six, 18 months, like one third of people no longer have depression. And I remember that, that day, like my heart sank. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I just finished this hard year. I, well, how old was I at that time? 32. And I'm like, I spent 15 years, like literally by then I'd been 15 straight years of education after high school. And I'm like, I'm doing this for 30% better than, you know, and then yeah. the, the punchline I always share is then he was like, and that's compared to placebo, which is about 19%. And then that like, I see it, it I, I'm feeling like I could cry. It was just like, it hit me so hard that day. I was like, all of this is for 10%. I'm like, what the hell did I do? And so that was like my second biggest bout of sort of depression. Um, the first was when my dad died. But yeah, it was interesting because then I started um, really thinking about, you know, what did I actually want to continue? And I did it. And so I thought about dropping out. I was applying to business schools and management consulting firms. And then, yeah, it just turns out my, my childhood best friend, we've known each other since we were nine, or we were best friends at the time when we were kids. Um, he was across the country. He started dating somebody. And I'll say by that point, I had never tried psychedelics. Like I, I was raised Jehovah's witness. So I was not very 
explorative in terms of drugs and not even weed really, um, except for a handful of times. So he started trying a psychedelic called DMT. He started smoking it and he was like on our phone calls on catch-ups, he started telling me about this and all these experiences he was having and you've got to try this. And I'm like, no, 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 there's something wrong. These are dangerous. And yeah, it was interesting, but I was in such a dark depression and I like, so I was like, maybe this is worth trying. And so like, I flew home during one vacation. This is about six months after he even started telling me. And then we were about to try it. And then I chickened out. <laughs> so I like flew back to Boston, kept doing my work and then just got more miserable. And so finally I flew back again on my next vacation and tried it just because so I was like, even if I died doing this, who cares? Like my, my life is so miserable. <laughs> um, but it was, a, it was, yeah, it was definitely a major shifting point in my life where, you know, I don't know, I described that experience and I could say it in many ways, but it was I don't know. It was, it was waiting for me. I would say that that space I entered, it was warm. I had been there before was another thought I had. And there was another thought of that. It was more real than the living experience I had been having. So as I know that that may or may not resonate with people that are listening, but, but as again, as a doctor who was atheist at that time, there was something that was like, this was so profound that there's something here. And so that was like 2013, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, then again, just more things started happening. I happened to be at McLean where there was this old psychedelic researcher named John Halpern, who he had done one of the first two map studies on MDMA back in the 90s. Um, he never finished it, so it didn't get published. But other than the MDMA for PTSD study, he at the same time was doing MDMA for end of life anxiety. Um, he happened to this entire time be in the office right next door to me, but I'd never talked to him because I used to just think of him as like the crazy professor who used to do research on psychedelics. And he's, he's pretty eccentric, but so anyway, <laughs> after this experience doing DMT, I flew back and I was like, oh shit, like I've and knocked on his door and I'm like, hey, John, can I talk to you about this experience I had? And so over the course of a few months, we became closer, we became friends. And then he was like, oh, you should. And then I started reading and I was like, oh, there's research happening now. It's not just stuff that happened before. And this is now 2014. And then, yeah, then it all started. And he was like, oh, you should meet my friend. He lives down the street. He does research on psychedelics. And I'm like, okay. So I went to his house and that his friend was, was Rick Doblin who started MAPS. And so then Rick and I yeah, became friends and he's become a mentor. And I got into the maps training and sort of, yeah, the rest is history. So I didn't drop out because I was like, now there's this thing that I really believe in that I want to pursue. So anyway, that's in a big nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have so much to say from that story too. And I just want to say, sorry about your dad as well. And that that was like an, a triggering experience for depression and just, I'm sorry. I know that was like at this point, probably 15 years ago, but I just like want to say sorry for that now. Um, but yeah, I guess as well, like it's it's funny that you talk about this psychopharmacology lecture because I got a master's in neuroscience and I had a very similar experience of I went into my master's feeling like antidepressants didn't work, I guess, in a way. Like I just had always yeah. had that that feeling um, and I'd had my own mental health struggles and people had tried to put me on them and like every part of my body was like, no to this thing and I didn't know why um and I went into the lecture and then I saw the numbers like you said of like 20 percent you know compared to like placebo and you're like oh my gosh this 
where this is the number one treatment for depression in psychiatry and it's like 20% effective. Like how can there not be um, a better method, which, you know, obviously it's a complicated story because there's marketing and pharmaceutical companies and, you know, sometimes that number gets kind of pushed to the side at certain times, but it's so like, I feel like learning about psychedelics, it's just like so amazing and so inspiring that we're like finding this thing that, you know, kind of gets more to like the root cause of the pain versus just kind of like a numbing agent. And I think like antidepressants are so needed in specific situations. Like, you know, like if the pain is that bad, sometimes you need to numb for a second. But I think like really going into the pain and like going into like the root of the, like the problem, the thing that's clouding your prism is like where the real like profound healing happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I, you know, I don't know, you, you brought up pharma and marketing, which is certainly part of the continuation of an ineffective way of healing. Um, but I've also come to learn that, you know, I don't know, some people, when they say pharma, um, and I'm not meaning that you mean it this way, that thinks that it's like the big bad wolf, that it's, it's doing this stuff intentionally. I think there are certain mm-hmm. things that are, I mean, the marketing is certainly done intentionally, but like, I found a lot more gentleness for myself around the, the healthcare system itself and psychiatry itself too, because, you know, why doesn't, you know, why, why is it that antidepressants don't work? Right. And I often just say that, you know, we, we suppress symptoms, right? So, and, and, you know, I often will say like, you know, look at the categories of our medications, right? Antidepressants, anti-anxiety, anti-psychotic. It's like, if you're feeling anything, like, let's suppress it, like, right, put a smile on and just keep going back to work. Like, and I had to discover for myself that that wasn't the case, right? Like the, the symptoms weren't the problem. They were the sign that I was living a life that I wasn't wanting to live, right? And that I actually just needed to change those things in my life. And in relation to that, also like my thinking had been, I'd picked up things or ideas of myself for how life should be lived that were causing me pain. But, you know, that, you know, and I have found, and that's what psychedelics are showing, right? Because psychedelics intensify, they evoke instead of suppress. And then, you know, you have these intense experiences that sometimes are very painful. And then you get these releases of these old physical pains or emotional struggles. But what I'm bringing up is that, you know, I, I realized at one point that, you know, the, the system itself isn't trying, it is, it doesn't know what it's doing, you know? And, and it was interesting for me, because that was another flip for me where I realized I'm like, you know, I had put academic medicine and academic psychiatry on a pedestal. I had put science on a pedestal. And I was like, I, I believe this thing. And what I realized is just that that's been a best attempt at trying to solve a problem, but it's not working. Right. And so I think that, you know, and then seeing my old mentors and professors and just actually now seeing them as like, wow, they're, they're hurting perhaps just as much or more than I am and they don't even know it and that's when I started really like believing and trusting myself because you know I don't know one of my old story was like oh okay like I'll have something to say or something of value when I'm 60 and but then I was like no the system is like the way I think about it is like the system of psychiatry and psychology 
were both born within a problem that was already happening, right? We were already a disconnected culture emotionally, interpersonally. And then the solution we tried to come up with was created within that culture, right? So it's almost like there's no one to blame there. Like they were trying their best, you know? And it's like, I'm just happy that now, yeah, we're, there's starting to be more openness to, to a different method. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you've talked about before too, like we're kind of in this culture of like suppression. So like, you know, an antidepressant or anti-anxiety, like that fit the cultural narrative of like, how do you deal with these uncomfortable states that you're experiencing? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that like, that makes a lot of sense kind of, you know, like, and I, I think you have to like think back to research on the brain and with these medicines, like I feel like neuroscience is like a relatively new-ish field, you know? So it's like they were doing the best that they could at this time. And it's really exciting to have something that's like getting deeper into like the root. And I think that's like why so many people are so excited about kind of using psychedelics and mental health, because it's maybe the answer to this pain that, you know, these people in this field were having about the 20% number as well that you experienced. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, I I wouldn't say that neuroscience is necessarily new. I would say it's, um, you know, I don't know, people have talked about, and I remember, you know, in early training, right before we had really antidepressants, right. Antidepressants were something that came up in the nineties. And before that though, for a long time, psychiatrists like myself were, all trained pretty deeply in psychotherapy and psychoanalysis, meaning there was a time where like that was psychiatry, right? And then came around the same time, ECT, electroconvulsive therapy. And we had like a couple of, of rudimentary, but also actually one of the most powerful medications that actually works, lithium, but there wasn't much there, right? And then there was this age of science and microscopes, and we could then like look at the brain and, and and then came this age in the 90s of, of neuroscience and psychopharmacology. And we thought that that was going to be sort of the, the, the thing that was going to help, right? And what we found is that that, that didn't help. Um, and to me, like, I think of the issue with science in general and neuroscience we can put under there. It's, it's, it's a very intellectual mind-based approach, right? And I think as humans, what I've started to appreciate is that we have a mind, it's beautiful, it's powerful, it's necessary, but we also have feelings and emotions, right? And, and science tries to say, you need to show me, you need to like explain to me with words or with numbers why something matters. And if, if you can't do it with a measurement, it's not true, right? And so that completely discounts the body and spirituality, right? Where I think of the body is, is the you know, I kind of say it as I I feel it, or I experience it, therefore, I can believe it, as opposed to, I think it, so I can believe it. And so I think that also, again, represents, it's it's a result of a culture that has not, has been more and more disconnected from the body and feelings, and has, you know, emphasized the mind as a way to try to understand the human experience. And so, yeah, it just hasn't worked. And I think the thing is, it's going to take time to change. And, And it was interesting, just that we're talking about this, because um, you know, I thought there was, I, I didn't know who this person was, but apparently this, this guy, Tom Insel was a psychiatrist who I guess was credited in many ways with starting the, the neuroscience movement in psychiatry and, um, and, uh, research. And he, he, there was something published this week where he said, basically, he's like, we have not 
made any progress with all these re this research that we've done. We, have, we haven't found things that are actually effective. And so I'm, gonna, I'm very curious how that's gonna ripple out into academic medicine and psychiatry, because I think um, you know, even the psychedelic research that's happening now, the majority of it at institutions is still look, studying it with the old methods. And so I think there's a risk of if we only, if we try to put these tool, these new tools, or not new tools, but like new to renewed tools of psychedelics, and we try to study them and apply them in the ways that they've, we've been trying to apply medicines before, we may not see the published effectiveness that we see when MAPS has run a trial, for instance, because we're not gonna have the, the healers, the therapists, the psychiatrists that understand how the healing works. So that, that's just something that I've been thinking about recently. Yeah, I think I saw a post of yours that was kind of like saying something like something about like there are a few things like less like magical or sexy than like a P value of like 0 0.005 or something like that. And it made me laugh because I I guess some of my like colleagues in science, I felt like, you know, it was so much like, why is this? And I'm like, can't we just like celebrate like that we don't know everything and celebrate like that it does work? But it's yeah. like you said, it's a whole like unraveling of like a system and then like how will we measure things and then what is science and like what does all of this mean so I definitely think it like yeah. brings up a lot of really interesting um topics and debates and issues but I'd love to hear more like because I I know you had an experience with like antidepressants like what are some of the kind of like negative effects or maybe the ways it doesn't work and how does like psychedelics like psychotherapy looks so different to that. Yeah. Um, I do want to go back to say, to, to, to just say something about what you just said about the, the p-values and stuff. Cause I do think there, again, there is value in science. It's just the, it's, it's emphasizes the only form of evidence right, right now. And that, that in and of itself is problematic. I think after I entered the psychedelic world and say the quote, spiritual burning man crowd, I think there are people that are way too emphasizing of just spirituality and they're not grounded into the body into the material plane either and then that, that becomes its own i mean wellness has now become very you know in spiritual wellness has become its own industry and it, it's it's also got its its shadows and its massive problems and marketing as well so yes. it's not that i discount science i think that we need the balance between both right and i think that um you know again it's like it's like this difference between i believe something because i know it in my mind or i believe something because i experience it in the body and with my feelings, you know, and even to most scientists, you know, my scientists or medical colleagues, you know, who are very quote evidence-based, I'll often say to them, okay, well, I'll ask them one of two things. And I'll say, Hey, do you believe in God? And for most people, that's a yes. And number two, I'll ask them, do you love somebody? And they'll say yes. Well, I'll say, how do you like, show me evidence of either of those things. So show me an MRI that, that can prove that you love your child or show me uh, again, some study that shows that God and that catches people. And I'm like, well, how many decisions do you make in your life based on God or that you love somebody? So many, right. And, but it's not scientific based, right. So I don't know that that's an example of that where I, um, with my science friends, I try to play around a little more. Cause I'm like, okay, like, so, so you're saying your felt experience actually matters. Right. But anyway, it's a little yeah. bit of a distraction, but I in think terms you're of, a, like ahead. a, I was going to say, I think you're like a powerful bridge. And I was thinking about this before the interview. Like, I think like people like you are in like a really, kind of like important in between between like the spirituality wellness world and the science world and I think like 
being a bridge between those two worlds is like so powerful and important because it's not that either one is right or wrong, but they have like really powerful things to learn from each other. And both of them have like their shadows and issues, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't know, there is this, maybe we're going a little off topic. Um, we can get back to your question, but it, it's, it's interesting because the other thing I've thought about, and I was reading this, I started reading this book, I didn't finish it, by Gary Zukov called um, The Dancing Wooly Masters, which is um, one of a few books that was recommended to me that actually uh, is someone who tried to balance and, and report both on like the deepest like known level of particle physics or astrophysics and spirituality. But I mean, it's, it, it was good, but I just, for many reasons, didn't finish it. But he gives this beautiful example at the beginning of the book where he talks about us, like, you know, we can think about the human experience almost like, you know, if all of a sudden we came to be on top of a pocket watch and we're watching and we can see the, the hands move, we can measure, you know, the timing between it, we can hear the clicking. So we can come up with all sorts of theories of what is happening under the mechanism of the clock. What are they gears? Are they this or that? And we can come up with all sorts of beautiful possible explanations or that are either science related. Again, oh, we assume there's gears under there or we can like, but, but he's basically like, we will never know. Like, like you can, and again, and you can get millions of people. And I, and I actually say this just as much about spirituality. I mean, you can get millions or billions of people to believe things, even, and I'm not just talking about Christianity, but Buddhism. Again, beautiful stories, beautiful possibilities, but no one knows. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. like the, the thing is to me, like all of this has been really fun for me to explore because my, it's like, I've tried to, I've, I think I've nearly exhausted my mind to the point where I'm like, I'm actually now believing and proving to myself, I'm never going to know in my mind. So like, so like, that's just helped me in, in sort of a counterintuitive way, just be more present and try to just have, enjoy this experience that I'm having. Cause like, and I realize like people, you know, people have been trying to figure this out for probably about eight to 10,000 years and they haven't figured it out. So I don't, I don't know if we're going yeah. to, I mean, it's fun. We, we can explore it. We can measure things, but also like the, the bigger emphasis is just on, on living life and really in, in having a, yeah, in, in enjoying what this is, whatever it is. Yeah, I think that's definitely like an, an interesting an interesting thought. And that made me think like I used to think of myself as like a certainty addict. Like I wanted to know the answer and like latch on to all these things that gave me certainty. But when you open your mind to all these different theories, it's like, can you really know anything for certain, yeah. you know, which is such like an interesting place to be. But um, yeah, we can get back to antidepressants and psychedelics <laughs> and we can talk about the prism too. Cause I was thinking as you were talking about physics, I was like, the prism is like related to physics and um, you know, interesting, kind of and, in a way I, too. No, yeah, for sure. And no, I just had, had never connected that, but yeah, I'll, I'll give that some more thought. <laughs> um, I don't know. The, the interesting thing is I don't, so I don't think antidepressants are like again they they have its uses and they have their ways of escape and coping is what i would call you know i you know i would say that you know i believe that pain which which mostly i describe through three or four emotions which i would say sadness fear shame anger but mostly sadness fear and shame those are things that we really don't like to feel or don't want to feel and we want to try to get rid of usually right um and so 
you know, at this point, just in, in where we are in, in, in the world, 2022, most people are feeling a lot of that. And I think a lot of that's become normal and that people, a lot of people don't even realize that they're experiencing these things. And so, and once one starts one's healing path or even before somebody does, if they are feeling a certain intensity of, again, sadness or fear, what clinically is called depression or, or, or anxiety, you know, if it gets to the point where someone cannot function in their daily life and they can't work and, you know, they can't take time off work because they can't afford it or, um, you know, <clears throat> or, I mean, that's, that's, that's the main reason that comes to mind or, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't think anyone should be forced to heal, you know, if they don't, if they just don't want to, and they just want to take something to be able to live the life that they're living, no judgment on them. But, you know, that's where the areas where antidepressants can be helpful or anti-anxiety meds can be helpful by just just making their life more livable it's not the choice that i choose to make for myself but you know i don't know judgment on people that do um so but the other thing is also that i've realized even when someone is intentionally wanting to do powerful healing work like some of my clients i haven't prescribed myself an antidepressant um i think since 2015 or 2016 but sometimes people come in on antidepressants and sometimes it's not a bad thing. Meaning like when we're doing work, I want them to be able to get to the point and we can get to the whole prison, this may relate more to the prison, but we want catharsis, right? We want the ejection of these old pains, like, and that's what psychedelics help with, but it can be done without psychedelics. Meaning we wanna be able to release old emotions, crying, shaking, screaming, however the body needs to release it. Um, and again, that can happen and, and has happens without psychedelics. And so, but sometimes if the system is too overwhelmed, if we're feeling too much fear, if we're at the level of panic, like I can be a very skillful and empathic and patient and curious therapist. But if the person's like in too much fight or flight, like they're not even able to get to the point where they can really dive into those deeper places. And so sometimes for some people, it's like, it's good to be on an antidepressant. Um, meaning because they can still cry through it. They can still feel the emotion because what they're feeling is so intense. So I'm very like, once someone comes in, I gauge where they are. For other people, they're on an antidepressant. We're digging, we're talking about things. They're having these mental realizations, but they can't even, like their eyes never get watery. So that's at the point where I'm like, hey, I think like, look, you're doing all this work, you're understanding, but the body doesn't seem to be able to like it can't bring up the emotion. I, like, let's consider bringing down the antidepressant. You know, maybe that's blocking some of it. And I think in every case that, that I've had that, like that, that works, you know? So it's, it's being mindful about where things are, right? And so, you know, because the on the other end of the spectrum, so you can have a very, very powerful experience with psychedelics, which do really open up, you know, I don't know, I use this pressure cooker analogy of this old stored stuff where it really can like, you know, poke major holes in the pressure cooker and all this stuff comes out when, if it's done in the right set and in the right, like the right setting and with the right people, then that can be very healing. Right. But if it's not done in that setting, that approach can be very destabilizing to people. And so, um, right. And for some people either they can't or don't want to take an entire day off or a week off to do a retreat or can't afford to take a week off. And so like, you know, I don't think that's the only way either, you know, so I have some clients, which I think this next thing I'm about to say is a very underutilized thing where 
some people choose, I don't tell them to, but, but some of my clients choose, they tell me they're microdosing and, and they're like, oh, okay. Like I actually microdose before I come into your sessions. And I'm like, great. Cause it kind of open up the pores of those, you know, into that pressure cooker just enough to where it helps them get to the emotion, you know? And I think in a way, again, I, I've never heard anyone else talking about this, but I think that is a potential way to really spread psychedelic healing, keep it more affordable because you can still do it an hour a week and you don't have to have these like major, major, you know, again, breaks from work or life and, and it helps to bring up the emotion. So really in the end, it's really about, again, expressing this, this unexpressed, previously unexpressed pain, no matter what the approach is. So. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I don't even remember what your original question was, but I, <laughs> I think it was about antidepressants, but <laughs> it was, it was all related to that, but I think that's like a really good thing to think about too, because like, I know in like the trials and the, like, it's like an eight hour thing. If it's like a major session, I think like the potential for microdosing and doing like shorter sessions, like like you said, cost, time off. And, you know, like, I think just like even like your personality or the level of like healing you're needing, I think like maybe some personality types are more willing to just dive straight into something versus like a little slow and like gradual, exactly. like gradual at a time. So I think that's like a good way to spread it more, like you said. And this is, again, some of, I guess, the, the not aligned or shadow side of, of, I think, the psychedelic movement, the spiritual movement, the healing movement, where there's still this, like, wanting to get done, like, let's, let's speed this up. Again, there's still this, like, there's something to actually, there's an end point, which I don't really think there is, you know, because, like, you know, the analogy that I have that I have to share is like, you know, what happened in the 60s or 70s, right? So there was the Vietnam War, and then, you know, you had the LSD that was, like, not only like breaking out of labs, but it was like people were giving very high doses and large groups. And there was the whole, like, let's take, like, let's take down the government. Like war is wrong. We need a complete change. And the government resisted that. Like it, it, the government, we, it was like threatening to the system. Right. And so it shut down what was happening. And I don't necessarily think that that was a wrong thing, you know, um, because was it healthy to be you know, I, I, it's almost like that, you know, was that aspect of the hippie psychedelic movement in the 60s equivalent to people who are now just like, oh, let's just do 5-MeO-DMT every single weekend. We'll all wake up and be enlightened. No, like it's not going to work that way. And so was that sort of a natural resistance, meaning the the government restricting and making psychedelics illegal, a response to, to a too much intensity, you know, and another way I think about it, and just my own journey, like, again, I was 33, 34 when I tried my first psychedelic. I still had, even though I wasn't Jehovah's Witness, I, I had that history of being raised Jehovah's Witness. I was scared of this stuff. Like it had to take time to like open up and start to trust myself and see these layers. So for me, I've become much more patient. Um, only in the last year, I've, I've, I've been overall a pretty impatient person, but I've, I've started gaining more patience because I'm like, it's just like, I'm seeing that the actual process of what each of us are going through as individuals or society is going through as the point like it's not like that we're going to get to this end point and so that's where I think you know yeah there's you know I love the maps work I mean I think that's it's 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 very powerful and and the, the, you know but one of the major limitations as you're saying is that these are like six seven eight nine hour sessions and so you know we don't have the number of healers that know really how to work with these medicines number one 
it's, it's incredibly unaffordable to try to hire two therapists during that time. And so there's a lot of things to work through um, yeah, in the coming decades, I think, to, to incorporate this stuff. Yeah. And I think it's like important what you said too. And just that like, even like that safety and accessing these memories, it's not that you necessarily like always need psychedelics and like, you know, is it healthy to like live a life where you do like DMT every weekend to like experience the divine and spirituality? Like, I think it should be like a goal to, to do that healing, but to like what was coming to me when you were saying that was like to live a psychedelic life naturally you know normally like your life to be like inspired and authentic and connected and just present normally and not needing like I don't know always searching for this more healing and these more things and just like truly being present yeah yeah and I I, that that I agree is the goal um it's interesting that they say live a psychedelic life or it reminds me of some some people some of like I guess psychedelic influencers out there use the word like like life is psychedelic. I've heard that phrase. And I, I actually don't personally don't like using it um, because it still emphasizes the psychedelic, you know, which, which I think is, you know, cause it's what you're saying. It's about being authentic. It's being like, I was talking to one of my, the, the psychiatrists that I teach this morning. And I'm like, you know, I only use psychedelics less and less myself with my clients, ketamine, you know, I had started using it in 2017. Um, but I've only started using it less and less. I don't even know if I use it monthly with my clients anymore. You know, it's really just about the connection. And I'm like the most effective things in the room, the tools that, you know, help people are, I was trying to think there's five and I can only think of four of them this morning when I was talking to him, but I'm like, it's empathy, patience, curiosity, non-judgment. And I think that's really it. (laughs) Maybe it's just four, maybe it's not five, but really, you know, like in, in, that is what helps people feel safe. That's what helps the parts of them that are suppressed feel safe to come up, to show themselves. And psychedelics don't take the, 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 the replacement, they don't replace that, right? And, and in a way, those four traits are nothing that I was actually taught about in school, right? We're, we're essentially talking about four traits of how humans should be with each other, right? And, and it's this, we've, again, built an entire industry of, you know, that has been a response to this pain of those four things not being the you know present, right? And we have to hire somebody to like be the non-judgmental and curious and patient and and curious like and, and and empathic with us. Like like that. that when I started re- I realized that a few years, I'm like, this is insane. Like we're paying people to just be human with us. So anyway, I think my my saying something about the you know life is psychedelic or the other thing I, I've you know, started using the word spirituality or spiritual even less too, because I think there can be a escape into that as opposed to like, like, it's just, we're just doing this human thing as opposed to like it being anything else. So anyway, I just wanted to share that. Yeah. I think like with that conversation too, it's like, I know we like mentioned the prism before, but I'd love to hear you kind of describe that. Cause I think like like you said, you know, we have, we are these people and we want to like live these lives as ourselves, but all these things start to cloud us just like being ourselves. And yeah, I think that was like a powerful realization. I think even last year I had a therapist on the podcast and she kind of brought up like, you know, the empathy, the compassion, the curiosity, like we just need someone to sit with us and like hear our pain and like feel safe and feel loved and feel like enough and okay with whatever we've experienced. 
And it's like you said, it's so it's sad, you know, in a way that that's like such a strange concept, like in our society, just to be present and to be loving and just be with another human. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's sad. And it's also like, I've found an excitement around it. Cause the thing is for me like that, you know, when, I don't know, Rick, Rick Doblin, who's the founder of maps, which is the, the nonprofit for those that haven't heard of it, you know, that, that has gotten MDMA and psychedelics to where it is. I mean, Rick Doblin to me is a singular figure that, that, that is most responsible for, you know, psychedelic medicine being where it is today. And he was interviewed in a magazine by GQ and he's, he turned 68 um, in December. And he said in that interview, something that he said to me in private conversation where he was like, um, I think he, the way he answered the question in GQ is he's like, he, he's like, I think by 2070, we will have figured out how to use psychedelics, um, which is a very powerful. And I think in a very accurate, you know, he's the most knowledgeable person about this, you know, <laughs> that I know. Actually, just anyway, he's an incredibly knowledgeable person, but you know what I mean? That, that to me was very powerful because in private conversation also as a mentor, he said to me, he's like, you know, a lot of people have their six month plan, their one year plan. You know, people used to have a five or 10 year plan, but, but rarely does that happen. But he said for him, he's always also thought of what's my 300, 400 year plan. And, and the reason that, that, you know, I equate that with the GQ thing is because he's, living a life and doing things that are past his point of death, right? So, so I think that's a way of, for, that's been a teaching from, from him to me about getting my ego out of the way even more. Because the thing is like, even by thinking and, and removing again, and by him saying 2070 and he's 70 years old, he's saying, we're not gonna figure this out while I'm alive, right? And again, this is the most, I mean, again, the most, my most respected, person in the field and so as opposed to like all these companies are like oh my god we, we're gonna find the answer we're gonna it, meaning this this urgency we're seeing just leak into the psychedelic movement also you know and it reminds me almost of like or not reminds me because I wasn't alive when it was happening but I wonder what it was like when yoga started entering the western world and, and where people like oh my god look at this eastern philosophy it's going to help us with this and and what does it become? It's must have become like, oh, it's part of my like 10 pack class membership. And I'm going to do, oh, what time did you do hot yoga or do you use this? What clothes are you wearing? You know, like it didn't, like, what did it end up? I mean, there's some people who have found, I guess, healing, but you know, it wasn't the thing that it was pumped up to be. And I, I suspect, and I'm already feeling that that psychedelics that's starting to happen. You know what I mean? There's, you know, I think the part that's not marketed or shared, which I hear more of because, you know, people email me or I have experienced it, you know, people don't share, hey, I saved up you know, $4,000 and I went to mind bloom or field trip and I had my six sessions of ketamine and I don't feel better. Like, like that I hear all the time where people are like, oh, yeah, I saved up and went to Peru and did my thing for a week and I feel, don't feel better or I feel worse. You know, like people are almost like there's this shame around because everyone has these, the, the, those particular clients I talked to are like, I feel like it didn't work for me. It seems to be working for everybody else. That's what social media is telling me. And I'm like, no, it's not, you know, it's, 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 it's there's nothing wrong with you, right? <laughs> so there's almost this like shaming of self-shaming when psychedelics don't work. So it's almost like I'm seeing like the things that we've been struggling with are percolating into this, yeah, new tool, new area, which still remains, I think, very promising, but it's, yeah, again, patience has been a big thing for me in the last year. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like what you're saying is just that like, you know, the issues are kind of like seeping into this and it's like not attaching to like when it will be perfect. Like this is a process and will take like a long time to like 
fine tune this and the set and the setting are really important. And like, I've always had like, just like something in my body when I hear about people like, you know, going and doing psychedelics at these like retreat centers and all these things. And like, I know it's been like profoundly healing for some people, but like, for me personally, I've always just been like a little bit like cautious or wary of like hearing about these things. Cause I'm like, these are really intense substances. And like, I feel like it's just really important to be in like such a safe space and with, you know, the right people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's what I want. The reason I brought up what I brought up, what I was just saying is that this, you know, I find an excitement and what I, you know, when I say that I'm moving more to like writing and speaking is because what I realized these things that we're talking about, again, curiosity, empathy, um, trust, non-judgment, um, vulnerability, I think would be the fifth one. I think that I, that I was forgetting. Earlier. Like that is scalable. That doesn't cost money. That doesn't, again, you don't have to pay anyone. That to me is what potentially could save the earth, save the environment, et cetera. And that is completely scalable, right? And the thing is that is what often is people find the most challenging or don't want to do, right? I think another thing that's happening in culture right now is the problem is outside of me. Like it's the Democrats or it's the Republicans or how much excitement was there around? Oh my God, Biden and Camilo, like celebration in the streets. how, how much better do we actually feel? Like, I don't, <laughs> I mean, it's like this outside thing is going to save, save us, us right? and, yeah. or the outside thing is the problem. If, if the ultra wealthy didn't have, if they gave us more, we would be happy. Like, like there's so many versions of the outside thing is the problem. And that's the thing that, that that's, you know, I like to sometimes think in terms of duality, I'm like, or extremes. Like, I'm like, if everybody just focused on changing other people, what would the world look like, right? Probably would look like what it looks like now. It would be a mess, <laughs> yeah. right? But if everybody focused on the other extreme, on, on healing themselves and seeing what they are doing, we would probably be in a very good place, right? But that's the thing, like that is the harder part is the, what am I doing to contribute, right? Now, ultimately, we want balance between the two, but I think right now society, and again, whether it's, I don't think this, this is across all political spectrums, all again, whether it's the woke part of the spiritual like everyone is like this like I know how to tell other people how to do it you know and I think you know the most beautiful and powerful things I find with my clients or even myself like I had this like really bad argument with a friend of mine like a year and a half ago we didn't talk and like I felt really bad because I said something very hurtful to her and I said it on intentionally and I like it was this whole thing with this process of my therapist of like being you know, gentle to myself and being like, oh, I'm like this person who like positions myself as like knowing about healing and God, I said something really mean to my friend. And like, she didn't talk to me for a year and a half. And like, I had in my own MDMA session with my healer about a month ago. And like, a lot of it was still this thing. I'm like, it was really bothering me. Like she stopped talking to me. I said, I'm sorry. And what do I do? And, and finally she like reached out a week ago and like, you know, it's like, it's, but it's like this thing, like that is the, the magic. That's the healing, right? Can we hurt somebody? Can we then say, take ownership, say, this is what I did. I'm sorry. And not expect anything back. Right. That was the hardest part for me is like, I said all my piece and I'm like, why is this person not talking to me? I feel hurt. And you know, that's to me where like, if people can scale that, right. Like, can we talk to our family members? Can we go back to yeah friends, colleagues and, 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 work on these things there we don't need the psychedelics <laughs> you know I mean? like we really we really really wouldn't so. 
Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that just like speaks to like, just like how much there is like beneath the surface and how like, I feel like we're, like you said, like we're in this culture of suppressing and like, really it's just these like subtle conversations or these subtle things where like, we're maybe not addressing them. And then you start to bring up these things. And it's like, I said this hurtful thing to this person seven years ago and I never actually processed that or fixed it or like this thing happened, you know, and it's like these micro things that add up to be like, the gunk of our life where we can't, where we carry this pain or the sadness or the shame and haven't like, you know, had the ability to kind of express it. But I know we're at time, but I guess I would kind of just like want to end off on, you know, I think something that you've said that was like really like connected a lot of dots to me is that a lot of people kind of come into you and like the initial thing is either emotional or physical pain and that's always speaking to like gunk or stories deeper within you know it's yes. just a symptom of this this deeper kind of like internal mm-hmm. struggle or trauma or narrative deeper within us yeah yeah you know and, and maybe we didn't get to the prism thing and if you want I can you know, explain it a bit if, you know, if it might be helpful, but, you know, I think which relates to what you just said, you know, because at one point I was realizing, I don't know, like for me, the, the beauty of, and and the magic and the awe, you know, for me, that's what I, I wouldn't say that's what I'm experiencing more. There's a part of me that seeks it is the awe of being human, the magnificence of being human. That to me has only expanded. And when I say awe, magnificence, wonder, I don't mean joy. It's like, oh, I'm only getting happier. Right. For me, awe, magnificence, wonder includes the happy, it includes the sad, it includes the, the, the pain, it includes the pleasure. It's the like, to me, it's like the drama. Like I work with a medium and she's like, well, she's like, like, she's like your, your life people, she was referring to certain people who are on you know, certain paths of their healing, like your life is like a drama. And I'm like, yeah, like, like that's like when you earlier said, and, and I appreciate it when you're like, I'm sad your dad died or you know, I'm sorry. I'm like, I actually, at this point, I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't mourn that anymore. Like, you know what I mean? It's interesting because it like people would assume that, but I'm like, no, actually like this, this, this is my life right now. You know, it's just like, it's just been part of the, the, the drama and like, um, and the drama and like, a not the, you know, <laughs> like interpersonal drama, but like, this is, this is like, this is like the, I'm living like this, like movie, this, like this book, you know, myself. And so it's exciting. And so anyway, so I had been thinking about this analogy of like, you know, this prism where, you know, for me, whether, whether one calls themselves spiritual or not, or Hindu or Christian or whatever, it seems to resonate where it's like, you know, if if you, if we all believe in something called God or source or spirit or energy, and then all of a sudden, like we're, we're, we're born, like we're each human is created. And to me, like, then there's this unique emanation, this like spectrum of light that is 100% unique to anyone who is living right now and, and to anyone who's ever lived and will ever live. To me, like, every time I, like, think about it, it just gives me the chills. I'm like, it's like, we are each so fucking unique. And, you know, the pain and the suffering I found is it comes from all these stories from childhood, from trauma, from programming and media of, like, make your red less red or like the green is really really valuable or you know let's make your blue look a little bit like more like and it's like this hindrance of just who we are and how we want to express ourselves and how we want to be it's like that is what's causing pain you know what I mean and I think 
you know, and again, and, and like, I think the, the crystal analogy if we're, if we're putting a film on a certain part of the prism to like change the color, or if we put foil on it to try to like block this color, it's like the prism will heat up the prism, like, you know, things will leak into the wrong places. And then we're emanating this thing that we're not meant to emanate. Right. And I think that to me has simplified the healing process. Cause when I see a client, I'm like, I'm just, I'm like, that's on my mind, like all the time now. It's just like, people are telling me by the stories they tell me, their body language, et cetera, how they're blocking themselves. And so healing has become so much more simple to me. Again, where I don't, I rarely use the psychedelics anymore. Cause it's like, I'm able to just like show people like, look, like these, and you know, I, I would just offer them like, look, you see how you might be blocking this, you're doing this. And then you know, people, yeah, I mean, have, just need that permission. And I'm, I'm seeing, you know, you know, lots of my just weekly sessions with patients look like just little snapshots and chunks of psychedelic therapy where they're having these, you know, very large catharses and movements and shifts in themselves, you know, and I think that is, again, what I think is hopefully teachable, scalable to, to the greater population, because again, it doesn't require, like, I didn't learn that in school, it's just like, I learned that in, well, not my formal education, I learned that sort of through the, the school of life, so. Anyway, that's, that's the prism thing since you brought it up a couple of times. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is like so powerful and it's, it's funny with um, therapy. Like, I don't know. I've just been thinking about therapy and I'm like, what do you like learn as a therapist in school? Like what exactly, how do you learn to like, just hold space for someone? Like, what is that process? And like, exactly. you know, talking about that, like a lot of the things that you use aren't even what you learned in school. And I, I think yeah. I was I was doing coaching with a client that was having struggles like in her sexuality and being authentic and being herself. And I was like talking to her and, you know, like, I think at the end of the day, it's like, you're trying to be all these things of like what you've been told pleasure or sexuality is supposed to be. And like, what if you were just like yourself and how you felt and just expressed and looked and just was how you wanted to be in that moment. And it's like such a mind blowing thing for so many people that have just organize their lives by all these you know narratives that kind of control them but this has been this was great thank you so much for coming on I think we definitely went in a bunch of different directions that I wasn't (laughs) expecting but it was super fun so thank you yeah thanks for having me and uh yeah good luck with everything